All right, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another episode of the IT Pro TV podcast. I'm your host, Don Pizzette, here today with a special guest, Ms. Joe Peacock, who's, who's been in studio with us like, all week filming some ITIL content, which has been really exciting. Joe, thanks for joining me. That's okay. Thank you for having me. And I know we, we get a lot of questions from out there in the in the wild, wild world about, about ITIL. A lot of people are looking to get ITIL training. Some people have just never heard of it, or, or maybe they've heard of it tangentially, and they, they want to know more. So I thought it'd be really cool to have you in studio to come in and, and maybe just talk a, a little bit about what, what ITIL is, why it matters, why companies are, are kind of clamoring to this. And, and it, it's not a, a new thing. This has been going on for a while. But before, before I get ahead of myself, though, let's, <laughs> let's start. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about ITIL and, and, and why we would care about it? Well, first of all, I love the enthusiasm. I just want to say <laughs> that, right? I'm very, very impressed with the enthusiasm. So let me tell you a little bit about ITIL then, a little bit about the background to ITIL. You're right, ITIL has been around for a number of years. This makes me feel ancient. Um, and I am a dinosaur. I'm okay with that. It's been around since the 1980s. And it came out of the UK government, believe it or not. Um, what happened was way back in the 1980s, these things started appearing on desks. Um, these things that we now know of as laptops, um, but they weren't laptops at the time. These terminals started appearing on desks, and we had a, a, a department in a UK government that actually takes ownership and takes um, control over the government. In other words, that governs the way that the government works to make sure that we are buying things impartially, to make sure that... Um, we are making good use of taxpayer money and that everything that we do is is making effective use of taxpayer money and also that, um, you know, we're not showing any bias at all. So with an emphasis on impartiality too. And these things started appearing on desks and the first thing the um, was called the CCTA, that was the, um, the government department at the time. And the first thing that they thought was, well, we're not too sure what these things are, let alone how we ensure that we manage them efficiently and also how we can you know ensure that we're making the best use of taxpayer money and so way back in the 1980s what actually happened was a we decided within the government that a study would be conducted um, that we took a group of industry experts at the time and we said look could you please just go out into the big wide world and just identify how we can manage our IT services in a way that is impartial and in a way that is efficient and that is effective so we can demonstrate efficient use of taxpayer money. Now, that was way back in the 1980s and this group of experts went out and we tasked them with coming back and giving us a way of working. And they went out into the big wide world and of course at the time in the 1980s we had, you know, the, the large mainframes, we had IBM, we had, you know, Amdahl, we... And so they went out and they looked at organizations in the world, not just in the UK, but, you know, retail organizations, financial organizations. And of course, these were organizations that were predominantly mainframe at the time. And they came back with a set of best practices. In other words, working practices that actually worked and that made sense and that were impartial and that were efficient and effective. That was way back in the 1980s. But I've got to tell you this, because this is where the... the the actual name comes from, or the acronym, ITIL. It stands for Information Technology Infrastructure Library. And you know I got the name? Because these white papers that these academics produced, well, it was a set of books. 
44 of them to be exact. And this is the reason why it's called ITIL. But, you know, it was a set of 44 books. It was written by academics and it was intended for government use. Guess how many of them were read? Let's be honest about this. Back in the 1980s, no one knows. And so the, it was decided that by the time the 1990s came around that the, you know, we needed to do this exercise again because we still in the government couldn't demonstrate that we were managing our IT services and in an efficient and effective way and that we had all this taxpayer money that we were using and we couldn't demonstrate that we were using it impartially either. And so we went out and the OGC, as it was called at the time, the CCTA had been renamed. And so we did the exercise again. And version two of ITIL was born. And that's the real important one because version two of ITIL is the version that actually went around the world. Because of Freedom of Information Act, it was available for everybody to see. And version two of ITIL consisted of seven books. Um, we concentrated predominantly on two, but it was seven books that gave us practices, best practices for um, managing our IT services. And these were best practices that actually worked. And because they focused on efficiency and effectiveness, well, guess what? It was available under Freedom of Information for everybody to have access to. And private sector organizations realized that by implementing an ITIL best practice framework, that they could actually save money and that we had cost efficiencies there because, of course, that was one of the purposes of implementing that framework. And so now, of course, we're here and we're in its fourth iteration. Um, version three was produced in 2007 and now we have um, 2011, which was produced, guess what, <laughs> 2011, which is, is sort of an update to 2007. And, um, and that's where we are right now. So it's a best practice framework. It originated in the government, but actually it's become more popular um, in private sector organizations because it's realized that actually it can produce both cost efficiencies, but also efficiencies in terms of, you know, speed and in terms of, you know, well, making common sense, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I, I know for me, now, I, I, I was introduced to ITIL when it was ITIL version 2, right? So I, mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't mess with version 1. And I remember when they were announcing version 2 and they were saying how it's great. One of the nice features is they shrank the library down. And I thought to myself... <laughs> What, what, what kind of technology can this be where it's better that they made it small, but it involves a government, so usually that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but you know, here in the U.S., it, it, was, it was really new to, to me when, when I got experience with it, and, and this was a while back. ITIL version 2 is the first one I worked in. ITIL version 3 is the first one I got certified in, so um, didn't, didn't jump kind of into the certification side ahead of that. But, um, you know, you mentioned like back in the 80s, and an IT department in the 80s was way different. The IT department was usually the Xerox copy guy. And, right. and not a huge computer system or, or something. We, we just contract that out. But now it's, it's everywhere. So the nice part was in the, in the 1990s and in the 2000s, if you were just forming your IT department, you didn't have to start from scratch. You could take the ITIL recommendations and, and use that as a guideline to build out your environment. But today, it's a lot different, right? Every company has an IT department, or you know, most of them do. And they've already kind of made that that jump regardless of whether they're using ITIL practices or not. So how how would a, or why, would a, a company that's completely ignoring ITIL right now, that has an IT infrastructure in place that's managing things, why would they care about ITIL? Well, well there's a number of reasons, to be perfectly honest. I mean, like you said, you know, the, the jump from the 1980s to the 1990s in terms of IT was quite significant. 
in the 1980s, we were using mainframes predominantly. We had some local area networks. And, and you know, there wasn't really a consistent way of managing other than because we had the mainframes, then, you know, IBM dictated how everybody worked. It was as simple as that. Whereas once we got into the 1990s and we started getting into the internet and we started getting more into mid-range systems, et cetera, then people started, you know, working in a much more proprietary fashion. So people will ask me that question a lot now in the, you know, IT has become part of every single thing that we do. It's, it's part of our life. I mean, we wear IT now in a way that, you know, we would never consider wearing any form of IT when ITIL first started. The fact of the matter is, though, that the more IT becomes integrated into our life, then the more we realize that actually we've got to manage IT and we've got to control IT. And we have to have a way of some way of integrating all of our services and all of our suppliers, etc. You see, there's a common language here. If I have one interpretation of an incident, let's say. An incident is when something fails. It's an interruption, as we would say. It's when something fails. Now, if I have one interpretation and you are my customer and you have another interpretation of that particular word and then I have a supplier who has another interpretation of that particular word, well, we could be passing information between the three of us. You could have an incident. You could report it to me but I would have a slightly different take on your understanding. And then I could pass it then to a supplier to manage and they could have a slightly different take. And we'd all be talking across purposes. And language is a funny thing. And I love language. Um, we've both got different accents, but you know that we use our language in a completely different way in some instances. And so what ITIL gives us is a common language. It not only gives us a way to, to demonstrate efficiency and to demonstrate cost effectiveness, but ITIL also gives us a common language that allows us to speak to our suppliers and our customers in an efficient way because we're all talking the same language. Yeah. Now, um, let's change gears a little bit. We've been talking about ITIL itself, and, and you know, a lot of us see the value in that. And you've been here creating a lot of ITIL content for us in the IT Pro TV studios. We've been really excited about it. If you're not familiar with it, we have a, a whole ITIL track now that's accredited through Passion IT and, and through the, the, uh, uh, the various organizations that govern ITIL right now. Uh, and, and Joe has created a lot of that, that content. You and, and Terry Decker, uh, which has been great to have you guys here. But tell me about yourself. Like, how, how did you get involved in, in the ITIL kind of world? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's not just because you're, you're British, right? They, they don't force that upon you? <laughs> yeah, they do, actually. Yeah, it's, it's prerequisite. You get into IT in England, and then that's it. There's no escaping. Um, well, of course, I come from, um, well, I say, of course, I mean, you probably don't know. I actually come from um, Her Majesty's Treasury um, or, and the Office of Government Commerce, um, where I was head of IT services. Um, and I was um, the person that obviously, well, we owned ITIL. And so that's, that's I guess, my pedigree. Um, and during a period of the, um, the, the 2000s, um, so about, about 10 years ago now, um, we went through a exercise where we actually looked to um, move ITIL from the from the Office of Government Commerce and from um, Her Majesty's Treasury, which was um, Office of Government Commerce became part of the Treasury. And uh, we moved ITIL from government ownership and we actually gave it to a company to, called Axelos to manage. 
And so I've been involved with ITIL oh, for a number of years um, as part of the sort of, you know, the origination of ITIL, should we say. And, and that's really my background. That's my pedigree as I come from, you know, where ITIL was born. And so I've been involved in this from a, um, a base level, should we say, for, you know, maybe... 12, 15, probably longer than that. So, you know, that that's a little bit about me, really. And when we moved ITIL over to Axelos for Axelos to, to manage, then um, I then sought sort of alternative. Um, and let's just say I parted ways with the government and became an external consultant. And, and this is what I do now is that I will consult. Um, and I also perform training as well for ITIL and for ISO 20,000 or ISO IEC 20,000, to give it its official title. So, um, and that's what I do now. And I also work with colleagues within Axelos as part of, you know, um, you know the updating of publications and, and so keeping up to speed as well with, you know, new um, updates such as the ITIL Practitioner, which is a relatively new qualification and a relatively new book which um, we now have in the IT Pro um, TV um, suite. So that's available to us now. Um, and I am also, right now as we speak, just working on an overview for you for the ITIL Master Qualification as well. Awesome. Now, um, I know you, obviously you do training because that's why you're here, right? So you do training for IT Pro TV, for Passion IT, and there's a lot of call for that. But in your, in your role as a consultant, so you're, you know, you're out there as a, an independent consultant, you go and you help organizations, you... You, you mentioned before the show you do a lot of work for the government and, and, and organizations that are a part of that. Um, are you seeing that that really start to grow rapidly now? Because I know ITIL got off to a bit of a slow start in the U.S. I Personally, I saw it really developing on the West Coast and not so much on the East Coast for many years. And then all of a sudden, it, it was it was like um, almost like wildfire. It really started to catch on. And now, just about every organization, some even accidentally, are already implementing ITIL practices and, and don't know, like the, the big push for change management. A lot of that came from the ITIL practices. So yeah. are you seeing a pickup in that? Are you kept busy as a consultant? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm kept incredibly busy, uh, to be honest. Uh, I still have clients within the UK, uh, which I, you know, which I'll look after and I'll go back and visit from time to time um, to help with either ISO 20,000 sort of accreditation or to help with training. Um, and I've got a lot of clients in the U.S., such as, I mean, our government, as you've already mentioned, and I spend a lot of time on military bases. I also spend a lot of time at um, Harvard. I'm sure everybody's heard of them, <laughs> um, you know, doing some, you know, doing work con training consultancy with them. So I, I spend a lot of time, you know, consulting, um, which is for a lot of instances, it's where, you know, organizations have sensed a need and they said, you know what, we really need to become more efficient. We really need to be able to demonstrate a return on investment. And so we need somebody to help with that. And that's essentially what I do is I go out and I'll do a lot of troubleshooting, um, making recommendations for improvement. And sometimes I'll manage improvement initiatives and even transformational changes right the way through to fruition. And sometimes it's a case of, look, I'll come in, I'll do an assessment and say, this is where you need to be concentrating, but I'll train you to the point where I know you can handle this yourself. Awesome. It's the, uh, you know, if you, you teach a man to fish, you feed him for the rest of their life, that kind of mentality, that, that's how ITIL's structured, right? Well, that's exactly what we want. You see, ITIL's not plug and play. There's absolutely nothing about ITIL that is one size fits all. If we implement an ITIL-based 
framework within you know your service management environment and sometimes organizations especially think about the scalability you know we've had organizations that i have trained you know global pharmaceutical organizations um you know global consultancy organizations etc where you know we're not looking to actually implement itil they're looking to consult themselves in itil and right the way through to the small organizations where they don't need all of these processes and they certainly don't need the level of sophistication that they believe that they have to have by opening up an ITIL book. If you open up an ITIL book, it's going to frighten you the first time you do that. <laughs> and, you know, with a lot of small organizations, then I've been working with um, a financial organization here in the southeast of the U.S. And they have 500 branches. They don't need all the level of sophistication that um, is exactly the same as a, you know, a multinational pharmaceutical organization or a multinational news agency, for instance. You know, there are varying levels of scale on this. And I think that's something that people don't realize. You open up an ITIL book and the first thing that you think is horror. <laughs> and you don't know where to start and you want to run very, very quickly. And that's why I'm here, really, is to put this into some perspective and help you, really. Awesome. Well, I know we've loved having you in the studio, but even outside of the studio, Joe is just a great person to get to know. Very, very knowledgeable with ITIL and, and, and a number of other areas, too. If you want to follow her... Um, adventures, escapades, uh, anecdotes, whatever, uh, be sure to check her out on, uh, you've got your, your LinkedIn profile, which is uh, JoePeacock99, right? That's right, yes. uh, Or your Twitter handle, which is also at JoePeacock99. You can follow her there. Uh, you can also follow her right here at the IT Pro TV site. So, Joe, thank you for spending time with me. Really appreciate you having, uh, having you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up another episode of the IT Pro TV podcast. Do hope you guys enjoyed it. And remember, a good IT pro is always learning. Make sure you get all the information you can from whatever source that's out there. We'll keep posting new stuff as it occurs and, you know, just keeping our tech outreach going. Joe, thanks again for being on the show. And for everybody else, signing off for IT Pro TV, I've been your host, Don Pizzette. See you next time. Oh, oh, I'm shoot, sorry. I screwed that up, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> all right, she's not Joe Peacock. Not anymore. Now I, no, <laughs> she's Don no, Pizzette. No, no, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.